Bike Karma Bicycle Stories podcast is brought to you with support from The Frame and Wheel, helping you turn your cycling items into cash without the hassle. And AD Bikes, the modern face of Ostra Daimler bicycles. Become bike, become AD Bikes. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of the Bike Karma Bicycle Stories podcast. I'm your host, Tom Brown. Thanks a lot for coming along today. The mission of the show is to bring bicycle-loving people from around the world together to listen to stories and to make connections. Bicycles like art, music, and food are one doorway that we can walk through to experience our own humanity and the shared humanity with the rest of the people on the planet. On today's show, we have a story about following in the footsteps of the Underground Railroad by bike. We also look at how do you make a cyclist climb a mountain and a whole bunch of other random stuff. I know you have a lot of other podcasts you can listen to, and I really appreciate you coming along for the ride on mine. Let's roll out. How do you decide where you're going to go on your bicycle when you go for a ride? Do you go to a certain part of town? How do you pick a street that you're going to go to that day? If you had a week to ride, where would you go? Is there a place that you'd want to explore by bicycle? Well, some people take the opportunity of a bicycle ride to do a tour through history as well. And that's what our next guest did. He took about a month to follow one of the routes of the Underground Railroad. In the United States, the Underground Railroad was a secret network of stations and conductors who would help to guide slaves from the south to the north to freedom. It was very dangerous for all those involved, and it created a very interesting journey to recreate by bike. So as I started doing the research on the Underground Railroad, I approached several of my friends and family about the next adventure for me. And I mentioned that I was going to go through uh, Louisiana all the way up to Owen Sound, Canada, to retrace the history of the Underground Railroad through the back country of Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, Kentucky, Tennessee, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and into Buffalo, New York. A lot of my friends and family were like, no, I would not do that. You will be hurt, maybe killed. People are not going to be kind to you. Uh, you should not do this. Uh, you should definitely do another trip, but don't do the Underground Railroad. My name is Eric Cedeno. I'm originally from Panama City, Panama. I grew up in Miami, and I was raised in Miami, but I moved to Philadelphia as well, and now I own Bicycle Nomad. So just to retrace the, the story, about 11 years ago, I started traveling by bicycle around the U.S. My first trip was from Vancouver, Canada to Tijuana, Mexico. It took about 39 days, and I just fell in love with traveling by bike after that trip. I just decided and I committed to myself that I was going to do this till I'm 100 years old. <laughs> I just love engaging with people and engage with nature, camping out along the way. 
The following trip, the next year, I went from Miami to New York City along the coastline of Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, into D.C., went into Delaware, New Jersey, and into New York City. And again, I always, my mind always works on traveling by bicycle. I'm always looking for the next trip. So I decided to do the Lewis and Clark expedition that runs from Oregon to St. Louis. As I was preparing to do that trip, just researching the trip and the maps and, and, and the history of the Lewis and Clark expedition, something in my mind clicked and says that I should look into doing the Underground Railroad. I kind of wanted to do history. I love history and I wanted to travel through history. And I was more interested in traveling through the Underground Railroad at the time. So I changed my research and started going into researching the Underground Railroad. If you're familiar with Adventure Cycling Association, they're from, I always describe them as the Triple Eight of Bicycle Traveling. It's a nonprofit based out of Missoula, Montana. And they have maps of different destinations. So let's say when I went from Vancouver, Canada to Tijuana, Mexico, I actually got one of their maps. The following trip from Miami to New York City, I followed their maps. And then as I was doing my research of the Underground Railroad, I found out that they had a map already established that went from Mobile, Alabama to a small town south of Toronto called Owen Sound. Till this day, there's descendants of Underground Railroad people that live there. So I wanted to do that route, but again, as I was doing my research, I decided to start from New Orleans, Louisiana, because there was a slave market that I wanted to visit. And I really wanted to engage myself in the history of, of the Underground Railroad. And when I travel, and, and this is a decision that I made right when I started traveling by bike, I decided to never use GPS. I always want to use maps. So I could, again, engage with people in nature. And uh, even if I get lost, I just ask people. Adventure Cycling did a really interesting map from, from Mobile to Owen Sound and visited several historical sites of the Underground Railroad. So I decided to travel through that. Their map was based on an old slave song called Following the Drinking Gourd. It's actually on YouTube, too, if people want to research. But this is an old slave song that they, uh, slaves and freedom seekers will sing in the plantations. And it really wasn't a song. It was a GPS um, and coordinates to, to get up to Canada. And, and, and the song says you um, take the Tennessee River that connects to the Ohio River and then follow the North Star. That's how the song goes. And they used to sing it. And that was the base of my trip. So I follow the Tennessee River, which I camped out along the river and Ohio River and into um, Erie, Pennsylvania, and into New York through Buffalo, New York. Wow, that's amazing. Um, can we go back just a little bit, if we could, 
there's going to be people from all over the world uh, listening to this story, and some of them might not be familiar with the Underground Railroad. The Underground Railroad was never an underground railroad by itself. It wasn't a railroad and it wasn't underground. It was uh, routes, different routes that were taking people into to Canada. Now, in the U.S., in the 1840s, 1850s, with the slavery, there was a lot of states that were free state, uh, free slave states. Well, in those states, like just for an example, Indiana, which separates Kentucky. So you have Kentucky, which is a slave state, and Indiana was a non-slave state. But still, if you were, uh, if you ran away from Kentucky into Indiana, you were taken by slave hunters back to to Kentucky and so so really the only way to to be free you had to go into Canada and the underground railroad was a network of businesses houses that helped slave and I use the word freedom seekers because by the time they they left the plantations now they were looking for for their freedom and I called them freedom seekers so throughout this conversation I will mention freedom seekers and um, and those are what people call quote unquote runaway slaves the freedom seekers they were helped by businesses houses and they could stay there overnight and then in the following day actually not in the day but at night they would travel at night and they were taken and they called those places those houses those businesses they called them stations like train stations so you stayed in one train station and then you move on to the next one. And the people that were guides, they were called conductors. So there was a conductor that would take one person from, from one station to the other station. Later, through my research, found out that a lot of those conductors didn't know the whole route. They only knew their specific route. So they only knew maybe a few stations. But just because back then you didn't know who you could trust, you know. So... They were given just a, a particular route, and they didn't know the whole route up to north. So a next conductor will come in, and they will move them, move the freedom seekers to the next station. you are going on this trip and what are your feelings as you're doing it you know um it's so interesting because through college through high school through college i learned a little bit about the underground railroad it's not taught in the u.s much unless you study like i study Af african-american history in college but just to travel through history was so amazing to learn what i have learned before and just to travel purpose right so on my previous trip I would just go from one place to another place but the Underground Railroad for me was the most interesting trip that I've ever taken because I literally could not wait to go to the next place to see what else I'm gonna find out you know and it was like oh my god it was like a Wikipedia but I was I was traveling through through the history it, it was just amazing to know what people had to go through to just for freedom right I was doing it by bike and people were walking. I already knew my route and I was stayed in safe places. At this time, people were, uh, a lot of hunters were looking for them with dogs and 
they really feared their life. I, it was totally different in my perspective, but I really wanted to, again, engage into the history. So what I did is I took three days and I traveled through at night. I wanted to feel the fear that people felt in, in those times traveling through places that you, you weren't comfortable traveling through. So three to four days, I traveled through Alabama and Mississippi um, uh, in the middle of the night. I would be scared to do that. I was scared. I was scared, you know. And then, um, and then waking up, waking up in Tennessee, like by the river, I will get mosquito bites. And sometimes I won't have food because I just run out of food. You know, traveling, I would travel eight to ten hours a day, and I would probably spend about four thousand to six thousand calories a day. And there was no way to put that kind of food back in my system. But I would wake up in the middle of the night at 2 o'clock in the morning hungry. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't have anything else to drink uh, or eat. But one day it clicked. I was like, wow, this is what people felt. You know, they, they, were, they were hungry. They were getting bitten by mosquitoes. And it was just a really uh, interesting and a spiritual trip for me. Back in the day, this was a divided nation. It was North versus South. There was the Mason-Dixon line, which was kind of like the front line. And then anything below that, you were in enemy territory and you were relying upon these allies who put themselves in danger as well because if they were found out, they would get shot too. So this was a very scary time in our country's history. As you're doing it today, you know, today in different ways is a scary time in our history. Did you have any times where you felt surprised by the way things have or haven't changed? You know, just before I started traveling, I usually don't tell people when I head out on, on some of my trips, not even my father, because their concerns, people are always concerned about how people are going to treat me and this and that. And I don't want to, I don't want to get that energy and worry about it. I, just my mind doesn't work that way. But when people start feeding you stuff, then you start believing things, you know. So I usually don't tell people, but I was really excited about this trip. So I told a few of my friends and family just because I just found that just the fact that it was a historical trip, I wanted to share that with my family and my friend. And one of the concerns was like, oh, my God, you're going to go through backcountry woods of Louisiana and Alabama and Mississippi and Tennessee and Kentucky. How will you be treated? I don't think you should be doing this trip, especially around this time. And, you know, I'm, uh, I have dreadlocks. I have long dreadlocks and um, dark skinned black man. So their concern was valid. And but then I started believing that I was like, oh, my God. Will I be heard? Is this, is this smart to do? You know, racism is still alive in this country, unfortunately. So, but I did so much research and I was like, no, and I'm preparing and, and I already taken the time off from work. And so I decided to go, which we'll talk about it later, but it's one of the reasons I started Bicycle Nomad, just to inspire people to travel by bike, because it was actually the opposite experience that I had. People were really kind along the way. And I just, I have stories and stories to tell you, but I'll give you two stories that I will never forget. Two days after leaving Louisiana, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, Louisiana, I was heading east towards Mobile, Alabama. And I, in my map, I could, see, I could see that I was going to run out of water at least for an hour and a half because there was no way 
I could, um, it was an empty road, like a dirt road, and there was no access to water. And I was like, this section here, I'm going to run out of water. It's really hot and humid coming out of Louisiana. And, yeah, I ran out of water. I had three bottles with me, and I ran out of water. So I started drinking my saliva just to ease the pain on my throat. And on this empty dirt road, no cars were passing by. And all of a sudden, this pickup truck, really tall pickup truck, passed by. And they passed by, and about 300 feet or so, they stopped and they started reversing. And I was like, oh my God, here it is. This is what people were telling me about. Shoot, what am I gonna do now? Right, and I don't, well, I'm protected by guidance, but I don't carry any guns, you know, or any weapons with me. So so I, I got out of my bike just to, if I had to run or just prepare myself for them coming back. And when they started reversing, the, one of the passengers pulled the windows down and they say, hey, where are you going? And I said, um, I'm going to Canada. They said, on your bike? I said, yeah. And they're like, where are you coming from? I'm coming from New Orleans. And they're like, we saw you about 20 miles south of here. We were cutting some grass and we wanted to know if you need some water. We have a cooler full of water. And um, I just drank pretty much all the water. I, I must have drank like 24 bottles of water. And, uh, and, and, and I put it all in my bottles. And I just hugged both of them, both of the driver and the passenger. I hugged them. They didn't know why I was hugging them because they didn't know the struggle that I had just endured. But to me, and, and we call them on bicycle traveling, we call them uh, trail angels because there's just uh, people that come into your life and uh, in a situation where you're not expecting. I hugged them and they, and they disappear and they left. And I was like, wow, this is going to be a pretty interesting trip. They were really kind, really, really kind. And along the way, it was like that where I would stop somewhere. I, I, I tell you a story. I was in, uh, in Alabama. I can't remember the name of the town backcountry woods of Alabama and I stopped at a, at a campground that I had a river crossing by and I, I rode in with my bike and I put my bike against the, the wall of the office as I was going to pay my, my camp fee. The owner who was in the register said, hey, whose bike is that? And I said, oh, that's my bike. He said, hey, where are you coming? Where are you going? That's usually the question that people always ask. And I said, I'm coming from New Orleans and I'm heading, I'm heading up to Canada. Um, retracing the history of the Underground Railroad. So he said, oh, wow, I cannot charge you, and I'm not going to profit from the trip that you're doing. Uh, sounds like it's a spiritual trip, and I'm not going to profit from that. So you are, you're going to be our guest tonight. And please come by after you set up your tent. Please come by to my house and uh, have dinner with my family. And again, stories and stories like that throughout my trip all the way up to Canada that I encountered. So it was really nice. I never, people ask me, did I encounter anything negative? I never did. People were really kind along the way. That's incredible. That's, it makes you feel good to hear a story oh. like that, where you can go that far and have the normal reaction be kindness. That's the great part of our country, is when you experience all those nice people across the country from anywhere. And, and truly, truly is. And, um, and that's also the connection with the Underground Railroad. And the Underground Railroad was, uh, I stayed with, with also people along the way, 
in people's backyard, in people's campground. And they helped me. I was not able to do that trip on my own. I, I actually depended on the kindness of people, which is the same way as freedom seekers were going along the Underground Railroad. They depended on the kindness of people. And they were black, they were white. The conductors and the stations were, uh, again, businesses and houses of, of different people and different races and different religions. They were not were able to make it on their own. And, uh, and that's actually the connection with that trip and my trip as well. You know, The kindness of people is what uh, gets you to the next level. That, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing the story. Do you have any other trips planned? You know, I this year, I uh, again, I've been traveling for 11 years, and I've been asked to guide people along some of the trips that I have done. So this year in November, we're going to be doing a guided tour in Puerto Rico. So we're, we're going to go along, along the island, the coastal towns of Puerto Rico. It's about 335 miles. We'll go through the coastal towns of Puerto Rico. It'll take us like eight days. That's a, a trip that I did about three years ago. I, I loved it, so I, I'm going to start doing guided trips. And one of the ones that I, I'm very interested in doing, too, after the one in Puerto Rico, probably next year will be the Underground Railroad. Not the whole trip from New Orleans up to Canada, but a section that has a, 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 that impacted me a lot and also that, that has a lot of history of the Underground Railroad from Kentucky into Indiana and Ohio and Pennsylvania, that Mason-Dixie line that you were talking about. Is, there's so much history there, so I'm interested in doing uh, a guided tour uh, probably next year. But on a personal level, I grew up in Panama and uh, always wanted to do a trip from here to Panama through Mexico. Currently, I'm living in Phoenix, so I'll go through Phoenix to Mexico and then into uh, Central America and to Panama. It's about a 4,000-mile trip, probably take me about four months. The, for me to own the Bicycle Nomad Cafe is because of where I travel through and where I have been in life. But when I got on that trip, when I got to Buffalo, New York, my bicycle was stolen. My bicycle was stolen with all my agendas, my, my journals. my I was given gifts like bracelets, a t-shirt, things along the way that people gave me. My bicycle was stolen uh, just after traveling 2,300 miles. My bicycle was stolen just reaching Canada, which I was only 15 miles from Canada. Um, and I say that to you. I say that to you because uh, it destroyed me, right? It, um, it destroyed me because, I, first of all, this bike was a customized bike that I saved so much for almost two years to have a customized bike. They took measurements on my torso, my legs, the way I was riding, and they welded this bicycle to fit me like a like a suit right i got up to uh, buffalo new york and all my things were to all my belongings including my bicycle was stolen at a walgreens and i say this because it destroyed me for seven days uh mentally physically i was just like i was upset at people i was depressed i was like how can this happen i had such a great experience and i get to buffalo new york and all my stuff is gone and I usually I don't document a trip because it's just for me. It's, a, it's, it's my moment to, to get away and engage with people, nature, and myself, right? 
But this particular trip, I, I documented everything, the way I was feeling, the people I've met, and everything was taken from me. And for a week, I was like, wow, wow. I was focusing on just one day, which is not even a day. It's just those 15 minutes that someone sold my bike. And I had such an amazing trip for over 30 days. And something switched in my head. I was like, I cannot focus on my bicycle being stolen. I got to focus on the 30 days that were amazing. I can't, for one day that, that was bad, I have beautiful 30 days. So immediately my mind changed to being grateful to being grateful for the people that I've met along the way. Also, that I have so much history and knowledge and lessons from ancestors that went through the same route that I traveled through. And they went through stuff that was harder that I, I went through. So they found, they found their freedom and I found my freedom as well in other ways, you know? I got to take a breath <laughs> because in this trip, the Underground Railroad is also known as the Freedom Trail. Well, the Freedom Trail gave me a freedom that I never had, which is create a brand called Bicycle Nomad, which is my lifestyle. And, and the reason why I started Bicycle Nomad is because a lot of people along the way, just before I started the trip, they were like, don't do this trip. You're going to get killed do another trip, find another route. And when I went through this trip, I said, wow, if those people could travel with me or if they could travel by bike, they could see the kindness of people. Because what they're basing that on what experience. They never went through a bike trip like I have. So how would they know that I'm going to get killed or people are going to be nasty to me or people are going to be rude to me? If they've never done the experience that I've done, maybe they're basing it on their experience on watching TV, right? On CNN or Fox. And I was like, I want more people to travel by bike. So what can I do? Because the social media, I cannot do that just by sharing pictures. So I have to become, I have to do a brand to inspire people to get on their bikes and discover their world. And whatever that world means, if it's their town, their city, their country or the world by bicycle. People just have to go out. And that's the reason why I started Bicycle Nomad along the Freedom Trail. So I found my own freedom, you know? So if people wanted to find out more about Bicycle Nomad and your adventures, where would they go? We have an Instagram called Bicycle underscore Nomad. Again, that's Bicycle underscore Nomad. We have a website called IamBicycleNomad.com. And we have apparel because the whole brand started by selling apparels at bike shops and bike expos. And now four years ago, we opened a coffee shop called Bicycle Nomad Cafe. And we are in Phoenix, downtown Phoenix, inside a bike shop called The Velo. And you could come visit us. We have apparel there. Or you could buy apparel online, too. But uh, in October, Bicycle Nomad collaborated with State Bicycle. And we're doing 100 limited edition touring bikes that are going to be released in the middle of October. So it's called State Bicycles. But you will see if you follow us on social media on uh, bicycle underscore nomads, we will have all the information there.
Yep. Great. All right. Hey, thank you very much for sharing the story. <laughs> it, gives, it gives me some hope to hear stories like this. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I appreciate that. Now here's a message from a show supporter, The Frame and Wheel. Thank you, Tom. And hi there, everyone. It's Fred Thomas here at Frame and Wheel. We are very pleased to announce the launch of the Frame and Wheel Bike Gear Exchange Facebook group, which is the next generation Facebook marketplace for cyclists. Join the group and buy and sell used cycling equipment, receive cash money offers from Frame and Wheel for your gear, obtain special pricing on Frame and Wheel items listed exclusively on the Facebook group page, Find new gear through our network of shops and sellers and suppliers and attend the Frame and Wheel Friday Afternoon Club live stream sessions to get tips from me on how to get better at selling and shipping your stuff. We have some great stuff on the store right now. We've got an independent fabrication Crown Jewel steel road bike, a Rivendell Bicycle Works Sand Hill touring bike in immaculate condition, a super fast Cervelo P5X sporting HED wheels, electronic shifting, disc brakes, incredible bike. We've got wheels, we've got vintage campy parts, power meters, and so much more stuff in the pipeline. Be sure to visit the store Frame Wheel on eBay and act quickly because the stuff we've got there doesn't last long. If you've got stuff that you want to get rid of, let me know on social media and I will be very pleased to get it to the market for you. Time, space, cash. Pick three. Please check out The Frame and Wheel on Facebook and Instagram and check out their new sales group. If you're looking to sell or buy quality used cycling parts, bikes, accessories, check out Fred's site. He'll save you the time and hassle. That's The Frame and Wheel on Instagram, Facebook, eBay, and at theframeandwheel.com. Occasionally I like to explore through cities and suburbs and such, so I didn't take a picture of this on purpose because I'm not sure how I feel about it, but we just went through a, a graveyard cemetery and kind of a disused end. Not a lot of uh, people on this particular side and it's near a river and a wooded area. There's lots of litter around the edge because there's a huge barricade. But I saw a groundhog like booking it across the path and as I watched where the groundhog went there was a whole mess of dug up earth and then the groundhog went into the grave. So I'm biking by and I see a groundhog dig into uh, gravestone and not sure what to do with that I'm kind of sure the the person doesn't really mind not probably a, probably would make me laugh if, if I was that person 
but the groundhog. What's what's up with that, Mr. Groundhog? I mean, if he sees his shadow, it's a little disturbing. All right, well, thoughts aside from the road and trail and cemetery path. What motivates us to do different things? Different things motivate different people. Some students will put M&Ms at the bottom of each page they read. Cyclists are no different. They'll reward themselves with a tasty treat after a hard effort, maybe a special cold beverage of their choosing. But the motivation for one person is usually not the same as the motivation for another person. However, at Mount Lemon near Tucson, Arizona, there is a treat that's used to motivate cyclists to get up this mountain that has become pretty famous and the choice of many. It's the Mount Lemon Cookie Cabin. This is not a hill. It's a very picturesque and amazing mountain climb. It's about 52-ish kilometers long, which is about 32 miles long. The climb itself is around 2,000 meters, which comes out to about 6,500 feet-ish. And then you're at a total elevation at the top of 2,784 meters, or 9,133 feet in elevation. Now, right near the top, just a little ways from the peak, is this cookie cabin. And these huge cookies have become the motivating factor for a lot of cyclists from around the world. So when I was in Tucson, I went by the cookie cabin to check it out and get the story. I'm Ashley Martin. Right now I work up at the cookie cabin, which is amazing because we have um, bicyclists ride their bikes up. It could take anywhere from two hours if they're really on point with their riding all the way up to four hours. They ride every single day, whether it's winter or not. So they come up here completely frozen in winter time, kind of thaw themselves out by your fire and they basically use the idea of the cookie just for their end game goal. So they continue all the way up ski run drive make sure they get to the top of the mountain and then they come back down for their cookie but it's a whole day thing they have teams that come up there's even little communities that have like bicycle groups that come up in a pack which is absolutely incredible for our business um we have teams in high school that come up so there's 13 year olds riding their bikes there's 60 year olds riding their bikes all the way up the mountain but it's impressive we even have some people who walk up here so this is like 30-ish miles and at 8,000 feet? Yep, so 26 miles uh, to get to Summerhaven. And I believe the elevation is about 8,000. Um, it's in the Catalina Mountains on the north side of Tucson, in Summerhaven. It's an amazing community. Only 30 people live here. Um, just really small town vibes. Definitely what I'm about coming from Colorado, which is why I took this job. What kind of cookie do they get when they come up here? We have a lot of different flavors. We have, let's see, oatmeal raisin. We have chocolate chip, which is our classic cookie, so it's the number one seller. We have the Rachel, which is oats, coconut, and butterscotch, my personal favorite cookie. We have white chocolate macadamia nut. We have a brownie cookie. We have a peanut butter cookie. And we have the indecision cookie. So if you can't decide, we have a sampler. So it looks like a flower, but it's sectioned off, so you can try all of the flavors in one sitting. So how much of your business would you say is cyclists coming up the mountain? Um, definitely in the first three hours is 80% all cyclists. So probably about $200 right in the morning. 
Yeah, it's incredible. What was the weirdest thing anybody ever said about, you know, cycling up the hill for the cookie? Look out for deer. <laughs> we literally had a guy who had a deer confrontation on his way down. has a video of it on YouTube and everything. Because his buddy was riding in front of him. And he had one of those cameras on. So you just see this guy completely take out a deer. Thank goodness he only broke his foot. So, yeah, very lucky when you can walk away from something like that. <laughs> need more information on the cookie cabin you can find it on our website online there's also a lot of hiking guides that introduce us as well because the Arizona trail runs right through here so that's really good business for us as well but it's a beautiful spot definitely come check it out very cool thank you very much of course I appreciate it so don't just come for the cookie the scenery is amazing thousands of cacti amazing geology incredible views that go on forever some people start all the way from the bottom, but there are plenty of places to park all along. So check it out. You, like me, might put it onto your to-do list. Mount Lemon outside Tucson. Okay, it's time for the mid-roll thank yous. I really appreciate people who take the time to follow us online, leave those positive reviews where they listen, and who share us on social media. It's probably one of the better things you can do for the show to help out. So with that in mind, I'd like to thank BPS6PQ, Kale N. Tremblay, Suzaki, ZQ63V, YJH 10 15 6 3 0 5 3 4 3 5 4 6 4 2 4 Thank you for following and did you make that name really long because you knew I'd read it and thank you for following I'd like to thank Rail the Berm which is a podcast for BMX racing if you like that go check them out also, East Coast Greenway on Instagram for reposting. And a big thanks to Jason, a.k.a. Jen, for leaving us a really nice review on Apple. I really appreciate everybody, and if I don't mention your name, it's not on purpose. And you can feel free to email me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com and say, Hey, when are you going to read my name, man? Well, this is the last episode before I go to Ragbri, so probably won't hear one until the end of August after this. You know, each show takes at least 20 hours to put together. And I'm not complaining, I know what I got myself into, it's a labor of love. But if you want to help and give some love back to the show, please do this for me. Just say the name of our supporters out loud to yourself right now. I know it's a big ass to ask you to go and follow them on media or give them some likes or stuff like that. That requires a lot of clicks, but right now, just just say their name out loud. First one, The Frame and Wheel. If you want to buy bicycle stuff or you want help selling your bicycle stuff, check out The Frame and Wheel. And Fred also owns another business called AD Bikes. Ostro Daimler Bikes. Yeah, from back in the day, but reimagined. He used to race on them, then he bought the name and restarted the company. So now that I've gotten you to say those two things out loud, maybe the next time that you're thinking about selling your parts or you're on Instagram or Facebook, 
just go and give them a follow. And that'll really help out the show. For all those people whose interviews are waiting in the queue or you've got a schedule to do an interview with me, I really appreciate your patience. I've got so many awesome stories in the lineup. I mean, stories from all over the place. Last week, I talked to a guy in Australia and it was evening in summer for me and it was morning in winter for him. Bikes at the Basin, thanks for that experience that I've not had before. Well, and lastly, Whoever this is listening right now, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading the episode and listening this far. This show is all about making connections, so I appreciate it. Let's roll on. So I had just sent off what is arguably my main bicycle in a box for a ride I'd be doing on the other side of the country at the end of the month. I started thinking about what bike I'd be using until I left for that ride. Since my main bike was gone, I was looking at my B-team bikes. That's B with a capital B. I have a bunch of bikes I like to ride, but as I was looking around, the cross bike with skinny touring tires seemed like it would be fun to use for my main steed until I was off on vacation. The setup meant that I could tour on both roads and gravel. I went over to check it out to see if it needed anything. Even though it was on the B team, I had ridden it just a couple of weeks ago. It was fine, but as I flipped on the light in the basement garage, I saw spider webs all over one of the drops. I thought back, was it just a couple weeks ago? Certainly it wasn't like more than a month. As I looked closer, the light caught the ornate beauty of the masterpiece the spider had done. Some little spider had made a three-dimensional shape similar to the iconic Sydney Opera House in Australia, using the brake lever and one side of the handlebars. In every direction I adjusted my head, the light caught more and more detail. There were lines upon lines upon lines, and shifting just slightly in either direction, a whole new field of lines would fill in any spaces you thought were empty before. I blew gently on the web to see it twinkle and shimmer, silvery wisps. As I took it all in and looked closer, I caught a little movement just under the brake lever, and standing like Thanos surveying his world was the artist. A little spider had done all this in only a few days. I figured it was that quick because I had moved my bikes a few days before and that spider web was not there. Usually I'm not a big fan of bugs on my bikes, but I looked at the spider. Young, alone, looking over its work, waiting for a meal, but I kept shifting my focus from the little spider had done all this work to the bike, back to the little spider, then to the bike. I really wanted to ride this bike. I kind of noticed I was holding my breath in and then I just let it out. I was not going to brush away this web. I've never identified with an arachnid before, but in that moment, I thought I would be a real Richard to destroy this triumph of biological engineering and art before he'd even gotten a chance to use it. The amount of work it must have taken overwhelmed me. Like, there were lines everywhere. He or she must have walked back and forth 
thousands of times. I could admire the amount of passes needed to make this structure. I could see the effort involved. The vision was unlike any spider web I had seen before. So arching and layered. I'm sure some people may be thinking, just wipe the damn thing off and let the spider go build another one. Others might be thinking I should stop riding that bike until the spider moves on. There's a range of people who listen to the show. A few might be heading out now to spray some type of aerosol under their brakes just in case a spider might be inside. I'm sorry I got you upset about that. You're probably good. And then I did something that's probably going to lose me some points with a certain type of person. I explained my plan to the spider. I said out loud, I will not be using this bike for a few days. Hopefully you will get some food by then and I will take you as carefully as I can and move your web to another structure trying to damage it as little as possible. Please do not lay your eggs in my brake lever. Though anyone who's ever worked on bikes knows that there are spider webs in almost every shifter of a certain age and also in many brake levers. I wish I could just like beam it Star Trek style into a bush somewhere or somewhere in the garage where I'm not going to be for a long time. I mean, it does look like something that Henson and Miyazaki and Lucas would have come up with together in some imagined movie that never happened. Like the Sydney Opera House, a roller coaster, and the Crystal Palace had a tiny baby. But it's a spider, and this is what it does. I'm a cyclist, and riding's what I do. But from one living creature to another, I can give you a few days to enjoy the fruits of your labor. I turned off the light and went upstairs to bed, but kept brushing off my arms and neck, the way you do after you get too close to a spider. Well, you've come to the end of another episode of the Bike Karma Bicycle Stories podcast. Thanks for coming along for the ride. I'd like to thank Keller Glass and the band Mob Jack for our opening and closing theme music. I met again with him the other night, and he's going to share some bicycle stories in a future episode. But go check him out at kellerglass.com. He's got some really great music. I'd like to thank Eric from Bicycle Nomad and Ashley from The Cookie Cabin for being guests on the show. I'd like to thank that crazy groundhog and that weird artistic spider for giving me something to talk about. Also a big thanks to one of the show fans, Dave, for trying to get me out there all the time. I appreciate it. And I'd like to thank all the people who've downloaded in all 50 states and over 50 countries all over the world. Thank you very much. The Bike Karma podcast is the intellectual property of Thomas Brown. All rights, trademark, copyright, etc., 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 are reserved and asserted. If you want to contact me, have an idea for this show, or maybe you have a product that you might like to advertise on the show, please email me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com, or you can direct message me on any of the social media. If you would like stickers for the show, including the brand new version 5, which is made out of vinyl and will last outside a lot better, we have a bike size and a vehicle size, just contact me and ask. Supplies are limited, so sooner is better than later. I do appreciate all the people who stepped up to do the ABC Quick Check, including Rowan. You did an amazing job on that. So I will be including those in future episodes. For this one, I just ran out of time. 
So I will remind you myself to every time before you get and take out your bike and go for a ride and before you barrel down that hill, do an ABC quick check where you check your air, check your brakes, you check your chain, you check your quick releases to make sure they're going to stay on, and then you do a quick overall check of the bike. You never know what might get bumped around or changed in between rides, so check it every time. Well, next week I'll be riding my bike across Iowa. Look for the sign, look for the tent. Free stickers while they last. I'll be carrying them around with me as long as my bag got there okay, and I should be on a surly cross check, making my way from town to town with 30,000 other people. That's part of the fun, is just seeing how that's going to happen. So hopefully see some of you out there at Ragbri going across Iowa. If not, I hope you enjoy the end of July and the beginning of August. Take care, and until next time, keep it wheel. Hey, thank you, Tom, for the great stories. And hi there, everyone. It's Fred Thomas here at Frame and Wheel. And say, are you thinking of doing the Dempsey Challenge this year? Well, the Frame and Wheel Bike Year Fundraising Program presented by Busytown Bikes in Lewiston, Maine, is a great way to turn your old gear into your fundraising goal, clear out the garage of old stuff, and support the important mission of the Dempsey Center. Reach out to us on social media to learn more. Time, space, fundraise. Pick three.